we can have a laugh and a joke together. We always do. You know, you've got to keep things light, but during the hunt, don't even think about joking. Don't nobody no, crack no, a joke. No. Don't nobody do anything. Dad, we both have a walkie-talkie right. in each vehicle, so as we both know what we're doing, uh, there'll be no jokes cracked. When the flight's over, then oh, it all yeah, starts it's, it's again. Free for all then. Yeah. But the the thing is, like obviously, with being such close friends and being so similar in so many ways, when we do hunt together. We know what we both expect. If it's Ian's flight, I know what's expected of me and vice versa. Uh, we work very, very well like that. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back for another episode of the Falconry Toll Podcast. And this is now the 12th episode of our series featuring falconers from the UK. And this episode features one of the falconers who is responsible for making this podcast series happen, being Simon Tires, who you've heard on the podcast before and who is also the author of The Specialist Falcon. If you haven't picked up your copy already, head to thespecialistfalcon.com and do so. It's a great book, well put together, lots of great information in it, and even incorporates some of the newer technologies like drones and things like that. So if you haven't, like I said, head to thespecialistfalcon.com and pick up your copy today. It should be on every falconer's bookshelf. And this episode was another important and special episode for me to record. I think mainly because, to me, this episode kind of touches on the other really important aspect of falconry. At least it is to me, and I can feel comfortable saying that it's a very special aspect of many other falconers' practice as well, being the, the friendship and the camaraderie side of things. And I know for me personally, without that aspect of falconry, it wouldn't be near as fun and it wouldn't be near as special to me. Being able to get out in the field with with other friends and other people who have helped grow my falconry and have helped me along the way, you develop these special and unique friendships and bonds with people that you wouldn't, I think, otherwise make. And this episode was, was a good one to kind of touch on that aspect of things. And I was fortunate to be able to sit down with Simon Tires and Ian Butler, who have been two almost lifelong friends in falconry. And it was great getting to talk to them about their practice and some of their experiences in the field and kind of how they work with each other as well and and how they form their their bond in falconry so all that being said i give you all simon tires and ian butler here we go it's been nice getting to know you a little bit since you arrived uh what an hour ago ian yeah about an hour about an hour ago yeah well i we haven't got a chance to talk to you before but you know, all the things that I've heard about Simon and whatnot over the past day or two here. I, uh, I'm kind of interested to go ahead and hear some about your background and how you kind of got inspired to kind of look into and or pursue falconry and uh, learn a little bit about you here because we haven't really got a chance to uh, to talk face-to-face yet. So okay. go ahead and tell us yep. some about some of your, your history. Yeah, will do. <clears throat> When I first started, it it wasn't originally through falconry. There was a uh, politician called Beeching. And what he did, he stripped all the railways out, which just left loads and loads of access through fields and everywhere. 
and I, I lived right amongst it all and there were a whole network and I used to virtually live every spare minute down there and that included bird nesting and, you know, anything to do with wildlife. Marvellous. I used to really enjoy that. But that, if it wasn't for the guy called Beaching, it may never have happened because it gave me access onto public land where you won't get into trouble. So that's what started it. And if you like, it wasn't even birds of prey. My first love was a bird called a house martin. Uh, it's very similar to a swallow, but it's a shorter, stockier bird. Uh, and it was just the shape that intrigued me and watching them fly about. They're very aerial, so you can sit and watch them. And that is what sparked it with me. Uh, I've always enjoyed any time of wildlife. It's not just falcons, it's anything. But uh, I guess the main thing that actually did kick it off was when I went to see a film called Kess. And uh, absolutely, and then I'd got one straight after that and never looked back. Uh, Kestrels, yes, I had one for years. I, In fact, I went to a funeral the other day and it was a guy that I met a long, long time ago. My first day's work that I ever went to, he called me over to his machine where he was working and he said, you've got a Kestrel, haven't you? And I were only 16 at this time and I said yeah how, how do you know that he says because you walk by my house every day with your kestrel <laughs> going to a green field which you know that brings it home to you but we, we've I've been flying birds now for nearly 50 years it's a long long time but seriously probably 40 of them I mean to start with it's just a case of learning birds, learning and understanding their behaviour and how you act towards them. So to be able to take the original step and have a bird is not the same as hunting. You know, hunting absolutely encompasses a hell of a lot more than that. So handling birds, probably I would say 10 years. And then for the rest of the time, it's been hunting. I have a real, real big drive to hunt. You know, it's not have a bird and just uh, keep it because it looks pretty. Uh, it was all about hunting. I mean, I've hunted dogs, I've hunted birds, I've shot, I've fished, I've done the whole lot. So it's that driving instinct. Now, over the last 10 years or so, I guess with me being softer now, I don't like to go and shoot things. Not, not no longer. And, and I don't like killing things unnecessary. You know, we have vermin on our ground, foxes. I d they do kill our game birds, but I don't particularly like the thought of killing them because they have to make a living. If it has to be, it has to be. But really, I thought, no, better not. And there's no better way for me to do it than let one of my birds do it. Much better way much nicer for me and and they enjoy it and I can enjoy watching them and I'm not actually physically involved uh, we're going killing the quarry you know the birds usually by the time you get there they're well dead so yeah that that's smashing so that that's my background bearing in mind I mean where we come from it's uh what can I say very poor you know a very poor background no money 
you know so to get to where we are now is a hell of a transformation because at one time you hadn't got that sort of ladder to develop and go higher up it, it was you were down there and that's where you stayed but you know it just shows it is possible to be able to move on and you know get the very best out of falconry was the public land access back in those days was there a a lot more of it than as opposed to now that everything's like privately owned and, and stuff or not really was it, was no it not, no not much no different? absolutely not no if anything it, you access is maybe easier now really you know footpaths they well walk but you couldn't really fly birds on them you see and you know as a young kid you're full of energy you want to run around it, it was just so perfect and most of the railways then were actually dug into the ground, which made like a deep cutting and the walls were about 15 foot high and it was stone. So mainly it were the birds that nested in the stone walls that he used to be really interested in. Hmm. But it's where you live, I think. If you live near the coast, you're interested in seabirds. It just depends whereabouts you are to what you really specialize in. Sure. Yeah, I mean, everybody has those little things that, for whatever reason, it triggers their interest. And that's one of the things that we always like to, to find out from people because while there are some common similarities, whether it be a book, a movie... A conversation between friends whatever the instance is there's always seems to be that little something that sparks people's interest and yeah. gets them kind of going but well i mean i guess that that kind of takes us to how in the hell did you meet this guy over here and um oh, i guess you should go ahead and story. should go ahead and say hi simon yeah hi john <laughs> um just before we go down that road just just um, going on a little bit more what you just touched on and back in our day when we were kids there's very little else to do and most like you, your friends I mean Ian we, we didn't know each other when we were really young but we lived we, we both come from the same area the same county from Nottinghamshire um, but as children then there was very very little to do we didn't have the Xboxes and all the rest of it that they have nowadays and to entertain yourself you went out you went up the fields you went up the woods um and it just developed from there i'd say you, it, there was little else to interest us and you spent all your waking hours um watching birds bird nesting as ian said and then ferreting and catching things and it just developed we're, we're both identical in our desire as hunters um, that's how we describe ourselves and that's been implanted in us from the very word go I think it's just developed and and never left us but in those days that's what you did um, we both had the interest to educate ourselves on falconry and the only way in those days was books and obviously throughout we we ne still now discuss the old books we <laughs> Uncannily, we read the same books. We we looked at the same pictures. We send each other what's books this picture from, and I do think you're really lucky to have a mentor. It would have meant the world to me. I'd had two or three birds, never spoke to a soul, yeah, ever, and everything I learned, as Simon says, out of a book from the library, and then you try and save your pocket money in order to be able to buy the book. And then out the book, in the back, normally there were addresses of things to do. And, and as a kid, I were writing 
on airmail paper to Pakistan asking for price lists of Falcons. Hmm. And I got no idea. <laughs> you know, and, and he, as a kid, things weren't expensive from Pakistan, but not on my pocket money, no. not a chance. No, not <laughs> but I've still got the airmail paper because in those days it used to be really, really thin and it was special airmail paper. And I've still got the falconry lists at home showing how much each bird was, how much a pair of bells was in a leash, and do you want its eyes sealing? And this were all done off my own back. This, not because anybody told me, all this were my, my own legwork. And to be able to have a, a mentor, it would have meant so much to me. I have made mistakes with birds. Oh, we all have. Absolutely made yeah, mistakes. Yeah, Avoidable mm. mistakes, which, which is worse when I look back at it now. And hopefully that could have been eliminated. I didn't intentionally do things, but it, it happens. Well, and, and the, the truth of the matter is, is it's never going to be completely eliminated. The, it's just reduced. And, sure. and yeah. you know, sure. I mean, even with great mentorship, I mean, we all have occasional just, I mean, we're humans. We're we're not infallible and even with guidance we all do stupid stuff i mean it is it is what it is but with that i mean i do 100% agree and most people i think would agree that without that foundational guidance there is a lot of completely unneeded and unnecessary mistakes so that you can cut out so yeah i mean i agree Totally with what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's wonderful, really, how the, your systems run over there. I really do. It, it's just a nightmare now. You know, if you want to mentor now, it's very difficult because there's so many people clamoring. If you put yourself available, you would have dozens of people where you really one to one's best, where somebody can just deal with you and that's it. And then, you know, then you find your footing. But that's, that's how we both developed um, by this desire to find people and to find other people that were doing it. I mean, you've had my history before and I latched on to a guy that I found down the road with Gosshawks and, uh, and went from there. And then that led, I mean, it, back in the day there, the British Falconers Club was fairly elitist um it was we read about it we read about all what went off we both read about long winging and game hawking and at that age probably never even dreamt that we would ever do what we, we we've achieved in our falconry journey so far um but at the time though we we discovered well i would say uh, my father uh, he encouraged us and he he helped uh with the, and was included in the falconry we discovered a local falconry club and that was called the east midlands hawking club which was a small group of people from the area from the east midlands that were all into hawking they met uh, at melton mowbray for various meets and in pubs and all the rest of it and through that me and the chap opposite both ended up at meetings and uh, yeah and it started from there yeah and i'll let, let ian carry on his dad used to take him Bless his heart. Uh, <laughs> what his dad didn't do to keep him happy was magnificent. And to have a dad like that is absolutely splendid. And his dad used to turn up and be the secretary of that club and do everything, all the background work. You know, I, I, I've got 
every bit of admiration for that bloke. I really have. Because just look how his son's turned out. Yeah, look how he's turned out. Yeah. <laughs> but, careful that, fellas, careful. We, I don't think we even spoke to each other much, did we, there? Not, at, not in the beginning, no. No, no I don't think no, we did. No, And then uh, where I used to live, one day I got a knock at the door and I went to answer the door and it was young Simon stood there. <laughs> And, wow, what are you doing here? And he'd bought a house just over the road from me. And I'd got a young goshawk then. And it was an imprint and it was screaming. And he just followed the noise straight to, the, <laughs> straight to my house. He did. <laughs> so he'd only just bought that. That's then. right, yeah. So then it were a matter of building mills, weren't it? Yeah, getting us uh, in And then up. every single night... Going down the fields together. That's and right, doing everything. Like with goshawks, we, I mean, we, we both had goshawks. We, uh, in the in the close hawking season, we used to go around watching sparrowhawk nests and, and yeah, just everything. And as, as Ian said, like, all the time out with the birds and the dogs and just doing what we do. And that's where it really, really started to kick off. And then, obviously, more and more hunting. Then after only a, a couple of years of, of owning that property, that's when my job came up. My job opportunity with John Fate was a falconer, which uh, I went and informed Ian first of all. And uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, Ian knew of the, the position and all the rest of it and what went with it and was quite surprised that I was going to up sticks with a young family and uh, move areas uh, and take it on. But it went from there and Ian used to come down regular visits um, to join us down there on the estate, just, not just with Hawking, but doing all sorts on the estate with us, etc. So I guess, is this uh, the point in time where we can kind of um, read between the lines or fill in the blanks, so to speak, and um, is, is, is Mr. Ian here kind of the previously unnamed hunting partner that you, that you referred to at one point? <laughs> exactly, <or? laughs> yes. This is the anonymous, unnamed <laughs> hunting partner. <laughs> You wish to remain anonymous, yeah. and the plot thickens. That's that's right. Well, you right. know what we had to go through to drag him down. Well, today yeah, and uh, tempt him down to. Uh, yeah, I yeah. struggled to get in. I'd been asking him for weeks if I could come on. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. yeah, I mean that's how we knew each other originally. Well, how how old were you guys around that time that you first started? 20. Yeah, well, it was yeah, I was twenty then when I bought the well, I was nineteen so, when I bought the house. There you go, mm. and so I'd be twenty one. Mm. And or 22. Uh, the house I actually bought, I sold it to this guy. Yeah. It's <laughs> a hell of a price. Oh, that huge is where he made his <laughs> <Yes>. money. <laughs> That's where he became very rich. <laughs> but then I used to hunt in Lincolnshire, which is about 65 mile away from Nottinghamshire, where we both met. So while Simon had gone off to Mr Fairclough's at Litchfield, I then, instead of travelling backwards and forwards, I moved out to Lincolnshire. See, I used to, when I came to Lincolnshire, before I actually lived there, I used to stay every weekend in a caravan in Lincolnshire. Come all throughout the hunting season and hunt on two days a week and then back home, back to work, another five days at work, and then back to Lincolnshire. And in the end, I uh, ended up buying a property out in Lincolnshire. And that's where I am now. And would you believe it, 
when I moved out there, by that time, I'd got a breeding pair of goshawks, uh, breeding my own birds, and never went hunting again with a goshawk in Lincolnshire. After all <laughs> that trouble, I, I didn't actually do it then anymore. And I took a break from hawking. Uh, I got a business to start, and uh, I'm sure you know, uh, it's a passion and a love falconry, but in order to do it right, you've got to be very focused, and I'm afraid it played second fiddle to my business because I had to get that going. That was the most important thing. And there you go, Simon mm -hmm. will tell you the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, as you all know, my background with the dogs and I uh, did the falconer's position till 2002. And those, anyway, we're not going into too much detail. We've done that before. But yeah, business and future takes priority and you have to look at things a little different for a while. But as for the pair of us, we both got ourselves into a position where we can go, but well, we we carried on doing the falconry to the well more than we'd ever dreamt of, and in a position that we'd we'd ever dreamt of. Um, where we are now today, I mean, between us, I can tell you because I keep very accurate records. Um, <laughs> don't <laughs> I? Um, but we do over a hundred days hunting a season between us. Um, that that's proper, and that's not including training. That's a hundred days plus actual hunting. Uh, pheasants and partridge, we are fortunate we're in a position where we can release sufficient game to do that. We don't rely on anybody to do it or buy days. We, we do our own game. We stock all our own ground. We maintain it all ourselves. Um, and we basically live and breathe it from the day the birds are taken up. Next month, we live and breathe it right through till end of the season. So and it's every day. Mm. If the weather's good, and you haven't had a kill with that bird the day before, we're out there, mm. nothing would stop us. Mm. I, I even struggle to say that a little bit mm. because this guy, he comes over and stays with us and no matter how bad the weather, our walking <laughs> ground is possibly 10 minutes, even less than that away. And I am forced to go out and sit in my car with the windscreen wipers going <laughs> and chucking it down with rain or snow and we have to sit there for about three hours till we go back home where we could have stayed at home. There's um, always a chance. <laughs> <laughs> he who dares is the yes, phrase. Yes, he yes. who dares. So, yeah, that's... But, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's not just the falcon, but it's, it's everything that goes with it. It's, it's the game management, the release programme and all the rest of it. I know we release a lot of game to sustain our hunting. We are very conscious of providing quality game all the way through. Um, some people have negative views on release game, but if it's done properly, and um, well, we've seen, well, uh, well, pheasants and partridge, they're, you can't tell the difference between them and wild stock. Not if they're managed properly. If they're managed properly. Um, and I said, we take great pride in that. And it's down to hard work on the ground to keep the volume of game there and the amount of ground we cover. It's, it takes an awful lot of work, keeping feeders maintained, keeping an eye on the birds and all the rest of it. It's, uh, uh, it's as much time as it, as it is with the hawks. We spend mornings out there, first light in the morning, feeding and also observing the game, watching the game, watching, because uh, obviously your field craft 
or watching your quarry is vitally important. Sure. Yeah. Well, and so when you say a hundred days in the season, like what, how many months is your typical season here? Well, the partridge start on the 1st of September. I mean, as I say, we, we hunt, um, solely pheasants and partridge. Uh, I've had my days at grouse and for, this is our day to day hawking and, and such is the program. We, we couldn't release ourselves for a month, six weeks on the grouse. We have a negative effect on the program. So, um, we concentrate on the low ground. We've got partridge start on the 1st of September and finish on the 31st of January. Pheasants start a month later on the 1st of October and they finish on the 1st of February. Yeah, so basically you guys are hunting about every other day ish or, or, or more. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I mean, that's why we fly a number of birds, right. a mm-hmm. number of birds each. Mm-hmm. Ian's flying, uh, two, two birds. He's flying a tearsel and a, a female jet peregrine and everybody knows obviously I fly. Um, my two J Barbaries and the the uh, the new boy the the J Black Shaheen. Um, so we're out, and some afternoons it's not it's not every afternoon that we, obviously we've got five birds to fly. Yeah. Um, we work both the same as 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 I've detailed in the past. We go for the one flight, the quality flight, and if we kill the birds, fed um, doesn't fly the following day, ready to go the one after that. Um, but as I say, we've got five birds between us. Some afternoons, yes, we've got five birds, but we've got the game and the, the volume of ground to supply the, the flights that we need. And we're very choosy on the flights. We, we don't just take the, uh, the first opportunity. We, we have a good, uh, spend a lot of time spotting the ground, wrecking round, and, and finding the best setups to suit the birds. If we've got a younger falcon, then obviously we'll pick the best setup for that. If we've got a testing flight, we know which, which falcon we're going to use. Yeah, no, that's, and yeah, I mean, that's, that sounds, yeah, I mean, like for, for guys that are as ate up with it as, as you guys are, and, and, you know, a lot of us are, the season never truly ends. There's always something to do mm-hmm. as was evidenced by the just, backbreaking grueling labor that you had me doing yesterday you know when i almost suffered anaphylaxis and you had me wading and diving through everything from nettle to thorns and, you had and everything to experience else. english nettles it's, yes yeah it's I'm, a tradition for newcomers yeah well i've well i've experienced it now so thank you uh, <laughs> but, uh, but uh but yeah no and yeah i think i mean whether it's in the states i mean it, at the end of the season, you're, you're prepping kind of, you know, some, some guys are already thinking ahead to trying to, to find nests, you know, for, mm-hmm. you know, to, to get sharp shins, Cooper's hawks or goss hawks or whatever the case is. And it seems like the, you know, the, the guys that are truly ate up with it all are, are always oh, thinking yeah. ahead, you know, yeah, yeah, there's always yeah. something to do. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the season for us, I mean, we always evaluate the season we've had, how the the, the, the the game supply has been, how the release sites have worked, do we need to change things, do we need to move sites, depending on whatever. We have to liaise with the landowners that we're still okay for access the following year. Um, then, obviously, once we know crop rotation, that has an impact on on what we do the following year, um, where we feed, where we release, etc. Yeah. So there's always there's always something to uh, to be discussing. Awesome. By the yeah. way. Today is the started harvesting. Oh, good. So our farm now is started to harvest. And when they're harvesting, so as we don't have to have nettles, is you drive right up to the pen with a vehicle when it's stubble and do all the work then. So now, as from next week, uh, it's working on partridge pens here. Uh, I've got a tear to get out the pen next week. 
So he'll be out and fresh and lively and he'll take some handling. So everything for me all starts next week. And then it's guns blazing all the way in. Yeah. I, it, it's, look, I get broody every year. If I've got intermediate birds and there's youngsters about, I get really broody and I just want to handle birds and be with them. It's every year I suffer with that. And this year, as I've got a, a one-year-old bird and a five-year-old bird, then I don't have to do it in the summer. And it's very difficult not to handle birds for me in the summer. Really difficult. Mm -hmm. Last year I picked my bird up very early. Mm -hmm. Uh, First week in June. June, yeah, uh, and then it's full on, right from the start. It's full on, and and uh, all all you do is think about. Yeah, it that's it. Birds. Same, same, like all the way through the scene. Every, every possible day for hunting, then we so uh, then we do it. We've had, you know, a few months off, and to be honest, it is quite nice to have time off and not to have to worry. Sure, uh, you know, it, it is that full on in winter. Mm. In the morning, when you wake up, it's you think about your birds. Uh, and, and the weather. Uh, oh, and the weather. <laughs> oh, yes, and the weather. And, you know, even now, when I get up in the morning and I start thinking about it, my heart starts racing. And then by the time we're actually jumping in the vehicles, getting ready to go out to the hawking ground, oh, I'm really wound up. <laughs> Just get on with it. We're, we're, we're as passionate now as we've, as we've always been. Well, let's, let's transition then to kind of talk about what a typical hawking day looks like for you guys. What's you guys' routine and with your terrain, your setup with, you know, you've, you've talked about the, uh, you know, the different areas that you've released birds in and, and, um, you know, that you kind of maintain as your hawking grounds and all that. Let's, I mean, let's talk a little bit then about how you guys go about your approach to hunts every day, the setups and and just kind of what okay. what a tip what a typical well, day looks like for you I'll, guys. I'll I'll describe the morning then. Okay, I'll describe the morning, then you can carry on. Okay, okay. Uh, typical morning. Um, uh, whether I'm here or whether I'm at Ian's, my routine is the same, and Ian's is is pretty much the same as well. When we're there, hawks go out. Regardless, half six, seven o'clock in the morning, um, they go out to weather. As it gets first light, we normally head off to the ground, um, usually carrying feed to fill up any hoppers uh, for the game. We have a bit of a recce round for maybe a couple of hours, just seeing of it. You'll see a lot of gaming on because we hunt primarily in an afternoon. We always we we always do that. That suits our schedule. We always hunt in an afternoon or from lunchtime onwards. We go out first thing in the morning, and there is game everywhere everywhere we see and it gives us a good idea of actually what is there it would be impossible to do any hawking at that time that's of the right day too much game. there's so much too game much game about. but then um where we, well, we'll talk about the afternoons later on but afternoons it's a different game altogether um we have to work for the game then but we go out we we monitor the game we we fill hoppers up we have a good check round and everything and just see uh just it's police in the ground as well security wise for uh, not having the the wrong sort on the ground, we're out in Lincolnshire. It's renowned for for hair coursing, etc. So we we just keep an eye out for the for those sort of things. But yeah, just just maintaining everything. It's it's all our pens can be driven to uh, and observed from a distance, 
or from the vehicle so we're not disturbing game. And it's just really, as I say, a good thorough check round and that hoppers are filled and not been turned over by the deer, etc. We, we do that. Uh, we normally head back after a couple of hours. Breakfast, um, sit and look at weather apps and find one that, look, <laughs> find one that looks good and we approve <laughs> And of. then that's the one we use. Um, and then obviously um, prior to the end of October, we're, we're starting to, to get ready, 12.30 for usually about a one o'clock set off. After the end of October, when the clocks go back, we are an hour earlier. Okay, we're 11.30 ready for a 12 o'clock start because obviously as the days get shorter, we still want to get as many hours in as we can. And as I say, flying a team of birds, we've got to be out there. Uh, we've got to be uh, out there and, uh, and covering the ground. So birds are picked up on time. GPS is set up. Everything's all the birds are uh, put into the flying jesses and telemetry and all ready to go on the cadgers. Dogs are in and uh, yeah, yeah, we're all, as, Ian, as Ian says, we're as excited to go and as we are every day in anticipation. We don't come back often uh, excited and, uh, <laughs> and full of happiness, but uh, <laughs> but uh, you always wake up in the morning, you always go out with that enthusiasm. Uh, same thing again, hoping for better. <laughs> but the priority for me is we have five falcons, always looking for five flights always looking for five flights and usually right at the end we manage to get mm. a flight and whether we get it all kills which we don't but just to be able to fly five birds at quarry because we we won't release a bird hoping there's no such thing as that you know everything's carefully watched uh we try if we bothered some birds a covey somewhere then we try not to bother them again the next day. We move on to another covey and, and keep an eye on them. You know, if you keep hassling the same birds every time, no, they won't have it. They'll be off your ground and you'll never get another chance at them. So in the afternoon, we'll get out there. It's great because we've got two vehicles. So we don't split up. Simon looks out the right-hand side of his car. I'll look out the left-hand side of our car and then we will scan all the fields and we'll work away through every single field that we've got. First of all, we'll use thermal binoculars. They're not always the best at great range, but they are a massive help closer up. And so we're both scanning either sides. We travel one behind the other, don't we? Uh, yeah, interesting, just interesting. We... we we're a couple hundred yards apart, okay? Um, because what can often happen, I can pull up, scan an area and see nothing. I move off and a head will come up, okay? Seeing what I'm doing, seeing that I'm going, a head will come up. This will be spotted by the car further back. Um, just to, if I can just touch on one thing. Um, yes, we spot. We, we've had, if we've got ground where... It's like, say, oilseed rape. If we've got that sort of ground, then we will often check a field out, and if there's birds showing, then the dogs will come into play. We'll use the pointers or whatever. Um, it's sort of a mixture, but the vast majority is initial, as Ian was saying, was spotting, seeing what's about. Because, like like the name of the book, we are specialists. We specialise this falcon for this quarry, so we want to be sure we're getting the right quarry under that, that, that falcon. Okay. Yeah. So... 
we do spend an awful long time spotting. Now it's, if you went as a spectator, uh, it must be a little boring. For us, to be able to spot things is nearly as good as a kill. <laughs> we really, really get excited when you see a bird in the right place. In, yep, that's it. That's the one we're going for. So not so much with English partridges, but with pheasants. You're only halfway there <laughs> because a cock pheasant is really formidable on its own ground and avoiding you. And we want to be sure we don't take slips unless we've got a chance. We know he's, he's, he's going to... We're going to get a flush. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're going to hold him there. We're going to pin him down. So um, if we're able to drive over the fields, we will drive round in circles round the pheasant and in the end, they just tend to crouch down and stay put. But you have to drive around them in a circle. Or you can even herd them mm-hmm. if you need to. Two vehicles as the pheasants run in and then try and cut it off from getting to cover. And, you know, it's a big old job. It, that takes more time mm-hmm. than the actual fly. Yeah, yeah getting, getting the right setups. But it's all fieldcraft mm-hmm. that, until Simon's book, I haven't read anything about everything to do with field craft has been actually picked up by us mm. and the best method yeah, yeah. to do it. Yeah. And mm. where we are at the moment is the best we've come up with. That's right. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But field craft is by far the most important thing to make a successful falcon. Because without that, and putting a bird up on the off chance where there's no, no kill after, no flight even, do you know, they get demoralised. But all our birds know that when they're away, they know that the quarry is there. So that's what we that's always right, yeah. strive but it, it, and, it, and your field craft starts before the flight. It's like knowing where you're going to find your, your, your game on certain days with certain weather, certain times of the year as the, as the winter gets harder. Game will move from one area to another, better holding ground and certain winds, they'll be in one area. Different conditions, yeah. So you've got to adapt, you've got to know, you've got to think like your game, know where to find your game. Because um, otherwise you could be, you could spend an hour searching the wrong area. I mean, we deal with vast, vast areas of ground. Um, as I say, in Lincolnshire, huge, huge areas. And some areas are, some days can be just totally barren. Uh, but when you know your game and you know where it frequents and you've, you've spent time observing it earlier feeding times when it's relaxed you'll get a good idea of where to to find the flights and construct something awesome i'm just more kind of shocked that you read his book more than anything I'm just, you know, <laughs> well I'm... let me tell you my books <laughs> are thumbed through that much and there's blood and guts on every page <laughs> because what i used to do is get all my books out and I used to crease them open on the page that where I was in the stage of training, all my books, and I laid them all out in front of me and read the whole chapter yeah. every single time and all the books and then did it from there. Uh, yeah, it took some yeah. time. Ian was the first to see every chapter as it was read <laughs> because he uh, he knows exactly what I wanted to get across. He would give me his honest critique on everything. Um, and yeah, yeah, he, he, he knew what we were, we were aiming to produce and he was the first to, uh, to see it every time and had a huge contribution on things. He'd pick up if I'd missed little things. Um, 
Yeah, he had great pleasure in always saying, well, what about this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you still love it. Yeah, I have a complaint. <laughs> I have a complaint yeah. was the, uh, yeah, the this, phrase. This chapter was really informative, except for the fact mm-hmm. that it didn't make any sense at all and you should just do it over. Is that, was that your, your, um, your common Sad- input? Sadly, and it will <laughs> never be read out on air or in print, but I wrote a chapter specifically for Ian. But no, unfortunately, nobody will get a chance to read it. No, have you had the pleasure? Shucks. No. Have you had the pleasure of chapter <laughs> no. 9A? No, 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 I haven't. No. Oh, well, you, you really get... must. Oh, God. <laughs> you really must. Great. Well, I'm having a couple more beers before I read that one. But uh, <laughs> yeah. anyway, so is, was there anything left that you guys needed to, to describe in your, in your routine? Well, like as far as your... Yeah, I mean... We can have a laugh well, and a let, joke together. Sure. We always yeah. do. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to keep things light. But during the hunt, don't even think about joking. <laughs> don't nobody no, crack no, a joke. No. Don't nobody do anything. <laughs> yeah. We both have a walkie-talkie in each vehicle. <laughs> so as we both know what we're doing, uh, there'll be no jokes cracked. When the flight's over, then oh, it all yeah, starts it's, it's again. free yeah. for all that. <laughs> yeah. the, the thing is, like, obviously, with being such close friends and being so similar in so many ways when we do hunt together we know what we both expect if it's ian's flight i know what's expected of me and vice versa uh we work very very well like that um you'll do things instinctively without the other one actually saying or whatever we 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 will find a a setup uh, we'll discuss obviously which which bird is going to be flown, and then obviously if it's one of my birds, Ian will assist in a way obviously that I, he knows I need him to. Um, yeah, I mean, what well, what will often happen is, um, I say if it's if it's Ian's flight on a pheasant, um, I will constantly observe the pheasant. Well, we do this on all the game. While the, the falcon's being prepared, we trust the other one to 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 monitor the game make sure it's not moving it's not behaving in a way that would cause us to be concerned um if if there's any doubt whoever is watching will call and obviously you trust each other because we don't want to waste the flights we don't want to have unnecessary time wasted with the birds or putting them up and it's not going to happen so we both know what each other expects it's a lot of pressure and it's a lot of pressure for every single fright because you just don't want it to go wrong you know we, we, we're very fortunate or we spend a long time observing before we get out of the car. It's got to be right. Every single time. But if we're lucky enough to have a kill, uh, the person who's feeding the bird up stays with their falcon. Uh, the other one, they're off in their car, already looking for another flight. You know, and, and if we can make it work like that, that's lovely. You know, because if you both sat feeding falcons up, and you've got Mm. five birds to be fed up because... We never rush a bird. If it's killed, we never rush it, feed it up late. It's fed there and then on its kill till it's had its required amount. And and as I say, with the aid of the radios, with the aid of GPS, you can still be involved. You can still see the flight. Um, Ian can be feeding up on a kill. I can be the other end of the fence somewhere. We let him know there's going to be a falcon in the air um, he can watch it on the GPS. He can obviously be fully aware with the radars of what's going off. And yeah, although you're not there, you're still involved. But uh, yeah, we, we we have to crack on. But I must stress that walking together is fantastic. Yeah, I mean solo. I mean, there's some guys that that don't 
social hunt and that's their business and and i completely understand but i i wouldn't be doing this near as much as i do if i didn't have a group of guys to do it with as well i mean that that's part of the the fun for me that's a huge part of the fun for me yeah so i mean i totally get it but yeah we're we're onto an awful lot together mm, yeah and you know on the highs it's marvelous to be able to celebrate a, a kill or a good flight yeah. together and on the other hand if something goes wrong you have your mate there by mm. your side mm-hmm. if a bird for instance goes missing that's it mm. uh, we leave the somebody with a car with a lure in it and some food just in case the bird returns to where it was slipped from or uh, we the mm. others will be off with GPS and mm. doing the tracking. I, I, yeah. I, yeah. I've got to stress mm. how, how much I enjoy it. If you're doing it on your own, it's very difficult. You know, you're falcon ready. Who's going to keep your eye on the game? Because the game can move. Mm. You might not see mm. it. You might not see it fly off. And then you can be busy trying to work a patch of ground when you've got a bird above your head and nothing. And you just wonder... Where did it go? Mm-hmm. But it did fly off. Mm-hmm. So somebody has to be watching. It just makes things mm-hmm. so much easier. That's don't right. It? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It does. Yeah. By far. But by far. And then, as Ian said, you share the, you share the moment. You share the the downs, but you share the, the ups as well. I mean, we had a phenomenal day in January, um, which was, we often catch, a couple of braids, like one with, catch with four birds and maybe not with a fifth. Um, but in January, um, we managed to, to have a kill with each of the five birds in January on Wild Game. That's five uh, flights and yeah, five kills. Right. And all in great style, which is what we're all about. Um, if we weren't so particular on what we expected from the Falcons, yes. And with our game supply, we could catch a lot more. But we both think the same. It's the, it's the quality of the flights. And uh, I think, well, I mean, that started off as a special day. The second flight was... Uh, the my hundredth partridge for last season was yeah, Storm, yeah, and it just got better. Now, obviously, as the day progressed, um, well, you you took the first one with your tearsel. Um, I took the second one, which was ended to be up the my hundredth partridge, as I've just said. The third flight was with Smog, the Jay Black Shaheen, and then, of course, the pressure's building. Now. Yes, <laughs> yes, three out of three. We we, and- we 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 found a, a super setup on. Some pheasants had gone into a dike which we'd, we'd not fl- really flown at all last year. No, nope. we found it by chance that the birds were again on a reconnaissance mission. We found an area where birds were frequenting and in a, a super dike, and we thought we've got to try and find a setup here. And anyway, we went, there were birds there. Uh, we worked it between us, as me and Ian and the girls with us, and um, yeah, we did it in our usual style. And we produced a cock pheasant for Poppy for. Ian's Jay Peregrine, which she she took lovely across the field, and of course that's the pressure's oh, on this. Then fall. the pressure is immense. <laughs> not o- not only was the pressure on then, but this was also this was January, so afternoons are short and time's getting on. So once we knew we she'd got it and we'd had the 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 photos as we do with every everyone, it was right. I've got to go. I've got to see if I can find a partridge. So we went to an area that. that, that that was we we knew we'd got birds about and searched and searched and in the end I just managed to find some partridge and radioed in. Yep, we've, we've got a mark. Ian was just 
picking the falcon up at that end so we knew that was safe right okay so it was sonic um the jay barbary so who's if you want a bird as the last bird where there's pressure he's the boy reliable bird he's the boy so we put him up and i think by time ian and emma came over with a vehicle i mean he was skied out anyway and it was uh yeah it was already there for the the flush and a very uh, and that special was it. Day. Yeah, lovely, super, super last day. kill of the day, and that was it. And uh, yeah, yeah, and it's not a numbers game, but things like that when you when you can achieve a kill in in quality from every falcon in January with January game that takes some doing. That takes some doing. But I do. You mentioned the girl Emma. You've got to give it to the girls, you know. <laughs> yep. Because they're not anything to do with falconry. They're doing it for us, mm. and I would find it extraordinarily difficult to be able to offer that much time towards my birds if we hadn't got the backing from the girls. Exactly. And exactly. without them, I don't know as it would be possible. No, it wouldn't. Not, so, not, not to the standard and not to what we do and how much we do it through the season. I mean, it's... Yeah, uh, we live and breathe it. The girls are a massive part of it, aren't they? And they enjoy it. They enjoy it. They uh, they don't enjoy it when, <laughs> when things go wrong. And uh, yeah, the, the the big black cloud of falconry is hanging over your head. And uh, yeah, they don't enjoy it. Then they know. No, they, well, they know when well, not they, to talk. Yeah. <laughs> Fair but, enough. But they keep us supplied with. Uh, with food all the, and drink, yeah, food and drink, all the celebratory drinks afterwards. And yes, of and course. Come yes. on, Simon. What yeah. do we do after? Well, that's right. Every kill is the the quarry is toasted after after every kill. Uh, we we toast it with a sherry, and depending on the time of year, that could either be leading up to to Christmas. We we follow it with a mince pie or whatever. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's a our little tradition. But we always raise a toast to the game uh, in respect. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. Not necessarily straight away. If we've got mm. another flight, then we have the, to have the, two the toasts. <laughs> That's right. Some, some afternoons can be finished with three or four toasts. Which... <laughs> awesome. Yeah, no, every every group or every, it seems like every partnership, group, whatever, they, they all have their own little traditions. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. yeah. That's but great. That's great. To get back home, then put the birds away for the night. And then, you know, it's such a weight off my shoulders. <laughs> That's it then. So then we'll But then sit. we discuss the day. Well, yeah. yes, we do. Yeah. Uh, 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 we don't mm-hmm. agree on everything, but then who mm-hmm. does? But it, it's not really a, anything to do with no. falling out. As many opinions as that mm. you've got, the better. Mm. Mm. Healthy well, debate. Well, that's right. I mean, although like, we're, we're the best of buddies, we hawk together. We've got different views on what we want from a falcons, what 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 we like, what we expect, and all the rest of it. But that neither of us criticise each other for that. That's how we are. We we appreciate what each other wants from the birds, and and that's it. And that's what falconry is about. It's not competitive. It's not a competition. Whose bird is higher? Whose bird is better? Whose bird's caught more than whatever? It's down to the individual falcon or what they what what they want. Well, and, and let's face it, you can't. You can't let the other guy be happy for too long. Oh no, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to make sure that um, that any kind of self-esteem or confidence or anything that's been built up from this amazing flight, 
you let them have, I mean, our group, especially when we're hunting jackrabbits and stuff, we got a 24 hour rule. You're allowed to gloat a little bit. You're allowed to be a little bit overly obnoxious about things with a catch, <laughs> but it only lasts 24 hours. If, if yeah. you start gloating and everything after the 24 hour period has expired, Lovely. you get slammed down. Lovely. And it, yeah. it's, uh, yeah. it, it is, uh, it's, it's, we all stick to it pretty hardcore. And, uh, yeah, I mean, when, when the guy, you know, opposite you goes, well, let's, let's talk about that flight again. And you're like, no, let's not. No, no, we're, we've, 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 uh, we've talked about it enough and, um, you've had your, you've had your moment of glory and, uh, yeah, we, we've moved on. We've all, we've all moved on. And so, so do you, you need to move on too. Yeah, yeah. That, that's lovely. But at night when my head touches that pillar, I always, always go to sleep thinking about what's happened that day mm. and did it work right mm. didn't it work mm. what can we do but it's without fail and that's how mm. i go to sleep that's right on yeah. the days yeah walking. i mean we have discussions i mean if things aren't working with the falcon we have discussions and uh even now i mean one of us will suggest something that's yeah is not what we've done before or is a different idea and yeah we're we're, we're just open to discussion throughout yeah. we're, um, we're open to yeah. new equipment yeah. as well Everything. you can new never event. close your eyes mm. and say oh that's no good you know if you've tried it then mm. you yeah. can have an opinion yeah new methods absolutely innovation of equipment technology and all the rest of it i mean although we're very traditional in what we do and what we believe with the the hawks and the falcons if something if a new innovation or a new way of training comes through and it and it works then yeah we'll We'll embrace it as we have done with the drones, with the GPS and all the rest of it, as we know. Um, the training aids at the end of the day. And if it helps improve the sport, uh, the welfare of the birds, the condition we fly the birds in and all the rest of it, then it's got to be a bonus. Yeah. Now, the wheels yeah. have always got to be spinning for sure. Mm. Oh, the, the birds are without yeah. the doubt the most important mm. thing. Yeah. I mean, we really mm. cost mm. it all our birds. Mm. You know, they're really, really well looked after. A bent feather won't do. Oh. Nothing will do. Nope. When he, <laughs> when we get back from Orkin, Simon's got two particularly pale-fronted birds <laughs> and the slightest bit of mud. <laughs> it, outside, wet the bird through, clean it, and then come back in and then it's on with the air dryer before they go to bed. It's Everything's got to be right. Mm. But I don't think that's a bad no, place it's not to a bad end thing. up, is it's it? it's not a bad thing. No, it's not a great all. place to end up. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Well, so is that your your best hunting experience, or do you have a, another particular story or experience in mind that sticks out in your head whenever you guys have been out together that, that you want to share? Well, I, I don't know how you get on, but I have a, the good experiences, uh, I bank them. And I don't think too much about them. Mm. I look at the bad experiences that I have. Now, we have a local pair of peregrines, which is about six miles away. And we get trouble from these birds. You know, uh, we, we've had two instances recently. One of Simon's birds were above a covey of partridge. And a falcon were coming in. Now, quite often the wild falcon will draw your bird away and you'll lose the flight. So Simon's birds were right. It were there above us. So there you go. Let's have the flush. Put the birds up. Uh, got the flight. Simon's falcon knocked it down. 
the poor partridge got up and wobbled and flew wobbly. And then the wild falcon come down and knocked it down. <laughs> and it yeah. ended up with Simon's uh, bird catching it. Yeah. Mm. But my worst experience is a pair of peregrines, both the breeding pair, during a flight, mm. so one of Simon's mm. birds killed a partridge. Uh, the wild teasel came in and started running around the floor, causing a bit of problem. But mm. as they're both similar-sized birds... You know, they, they were very respectful of each other, but the wild tearsaw uh, were making a lot of noise. Then all of a sudden, the female come tanking in, and she meant real business. Mm. Coming in like a gossip, and, close to the ground. And very good for Simon, mm. his bird left the quarry. Mm. Left it, left the partridge, didn't they? Yeah. All together. Yep. And, yep. But it's affected them mm. because that bird, when it gets hold of a partridge, it wants to get to cover, not mm. in the middle no, of the field. Right. Mm. And, you know, rather than plucking the mm. quarry, uh, it'll be looking round all the time. So it's affected them. But I only think the bad moments, the good moments, they're banged. Well, there's, there's one that you always recollect. I do recollect a few. <laughs> there's one in particular. <laughs> I recollect a few. <laughs> right, okay. If I said red legs. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, come on, so no, There's no, nobody no, better I'm, than I'm, you. I'm not describing my own flight. I'm not describing my own flight. You've <laughs> talked about that one red many, legs, many times. Uh, the, the, these, are, these are not release red legs. These are wild, wild red legs in Lincolnshire, which you have to treat with the utmost respect. I've written that I don't like to fly red legs. I'm referring to release red legs that you get in big bunches off the neighbouring shoots or whatever, which are a nightmare. But these, but anyway, carry on. Red legs will tend to run in front of you. So what you've got to do is back a long, 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 long way off, well out of sight. So the only thing they see is the falcon up above them. And that's the only thing that'll make them crouch down and stay there. But... You know, it's extremely difficult because then you have to have your falcon reliably following you in. Uh, and it's so trusting for these birds just to stay with you. And it's a hell of a long walk across really uneven ground, ploughed ground. You know, it, it's not easy walking by any means. But Which I must say, Ian loves to see me having to do. <laughs> <laughs> and to have that much faith in Simon that there's going to be a flush there and to follow him all that way and, and to be able to pinpoint the flight bearing in mind I'll sit in the car where I can see the partridges so I can see if they've moved because if they do I have to relay that information but if they stay put we don't talk because then Simon knows or I know that everything's on as it is so then we keep very quiet but the amount of ground Simon covered. And, you know, wow. Uh, GB, magnificent, magnificent bird. So faithful. Uh, he, he really is a, an absolute pleasure to work with. But it's not luck, but it's a pleasure. And, you know, some of his flights, and, and to be able to pull a kill off like that from that kind of distance. And, and that one particular flight over towards 
the other Fen Road, where they broke early, where I was a long, long way off. But uh, he's so high. He, he's he's command. He, he's not. He's not a bird that's just focusing on on me. And this one particular flight on these reds, I'd had a mammoth walk round, and they were in a, a like a blind hedge that that led to nowhere. They once they left the hedge, they had to go, and they went when I was well hundred yards from them, but. The bird was obviously the height helped, but he was he he saw them. He's not just focused on me and uh, yeah. But we do have some great flights, but I really always focus on on the not so good things because I don't want it to go wrong again. You know how do you avoid it? I mean, you can't stop wild peregrines. You know, it's just a natural thing. So yeah, all in all, we do extremely well. We've been very fortunate that we've not. I had to come back home with his heads in his hand and something's wrong with the bird. Mm, mm. Hopefully, or, or lost the bird, it will yeah. never happen. Yeah. Mm. But it's quite possible. Mm, yeah. and, and I do feel sorry for people that it does happen to. It, to lose a bird in the field isn't as bad as losing it in the mills, but still, it's mm. heartbreaking mm, because mm. there's years of work going into these birds. You know, they, they're not good from day one. They, they need to be coaxed. Mm. And year on year. Oh, that's right, yeah. I mean, you see so many birds which are flown in the first year or maybe stretch of the second year and then that's it. They're either down for breeding or whatever. And it's like any birds get better over year after year after year, going back to, to Sonic or GB as is also known. I mean, nine season coming up, still getting better every season, down to the, obviously the discipline underneath him, but um, getting better all the time. And you see the you're not going to see the best out of any falcon in its first couple of seasons. No, uh, but it's the regimentation mm -hmm. of handling the flight the same every time. The bird knows exactly mm -hmm. what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Although we do have an occasional problem because there's people that walk dogs in a similar area to us, and it certainly happened a few mm -hmm. times. Particularly, with, particularly with the ISs, and they go mm -hmm. straight over the person walking the dog. And they won't come back to you. <laughs> no, 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 no. So that's yeah, very yeah, frustrating. Yeah. But, they, but they learn. They learn after the years. You've in just got to keep putting them up in the situation. And yeah, yeah, they do learn. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, no, I. that's awesome. Well, like I said, as far as um, everything else goes, I mean, I appreciate you guys both sitting here taking the time to, you know, kind of reminisce a little bit and discuss about, you know, things about your routine. And, and uh, that's part of the reason why I wanted to do this episode like this is to kind of reemphasize because we've done, like I said, we've done some episodes with, with multiple people and things like that before, but with the sharing of experiences, the kind of storytelling, especially between friends, I, I, I wanted to kind of reiterate and capture the spirit of a little bit of, of why a lot of us, do this. And as we mentioned a little bit ago, I mean, a lot of it is about the camaraderie and yes, I mean, getting to see these birds do what they do up close and personal, getting that front row seat to do it is great. And that's why we all initially do this. But for a lot of us, it's, it's about the relationships also. And, and the big, the big, big part of what a lot of this is truly about is, is those friendships the relationships you form and you build and, and you keep, you know, during all the years that you do this. So, yeah, I mean, I appreciate you, uh, you doing all of this and, um, real quick though, from, from Ian, I, I want to get, 
one quick last sentiment from you. I've been asking people, you know, for a little bit now, if they want to pass on any like little tidbits, words of wisdom, you know, uh, bits of advice to other generations that might be listening to this, uh, as far as, you know, what you think is, is important or to keep in mind whenever people well, are looking into this. Aside from looking after your bird, you know, which for me is the most important thing. Always, always, always looking after your bird. But the single thing for me is field craft and learning where to be, how to do it and why you're doing it. That's by far the most important thing. Uh, when I first started, I got no idea on field craft. You just went out with a bird and supposed to go out and catch things. Well, there's no telemetry either. No. Back in those days. And it's very demoralising to go out and not even get nearly a kill. But it's only through learning and understanding the quarry that you're hunting, that's when it really starts to come together. And out in the field, field craft beats everything hands down. So that's my tip. Watch your quarry. Perfect. Perfect. Well, do you guys have any last thing that you want to talk about share anything before we close this up or well uh, all i'm saying is we'll be kicking off in the uh, not too distant future again um i'm as excited for this season as i always am with my walking buddy over there it's uh, we'll have a fun season we'll uh, <laughs> well, a lot of ups and downs a lot of beer <laughs> a lot of discussions <laughs> a lot of frustration but that's falconry sure. and uh, we'll, we will always continue to strive to do what we do Perfect. To the best we can. And it's been a pleasure talking to you, Jonathan. You as well, my yeah. friend. And I'm I'm so glad that that I could uh you know kind of coerce you into doing this, I guess. And uh you know, it was it was well worth it. I um like I said, I'm I'm sorry that we all have to suffer each other's presence for a little <laughs> while longer. But uh but it's all good. Yeah. It's all good. But um yeah, thank you again so much for driving down and, and spending the evening. And oh, thank um you very yeah, much. let's uh let's all go and, and uh have something to eat and have a, a few Sounds more good. beers and uh and uh yeah, tell more lies. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That's it. Cheers, all right. Jonathan. All right, thank, thank you. Thanks thank guys. You.